Wow. So, okay. This is so awesome. Steve Lambert, welcome to Red River Podcast. Uh, we, we talk movies, music, and pop culture. And uh, for the last like 35 years of our lives, we've been watching things that you've been a part of. So this is an absolute treat uh, for us. Uh, I know that you, you have the book and we were going to talk about that, uh, but welcome. Well, thank you very much. Hello, everybody out there in the audience, all my friends. Hello to you two gentlemen. You know, 35 years, uh, it's more like 47 years. You might be 35 or less. 40, but, uh, well, I'm, I'm about to turn 44. Yeah, I've been in business pretty close to 49, 50 years. I'm an old man. God bless. <laughs> yes. I, when I was doing some, some research, you know, going through, through the book, um, I realized that the, you know, the first stunt job that you had was in 1978, which was the year I was born, which was uh, with good guys. Uh, don't uh, good guys wear black with uh, Chuck Norris. And, and I love the beginning of, of like how you um, I guess, like how you saw the bigger picture and you're like, wait a minute. You're like, so actors basically get stump people to do the dangerous stuff for them and growing up in Brooklyn, you're like, this is all the stuff that I grew up doing, right? Well, uh, yeah, that's part of it. You know, uh, you have to realize uh, I was a city kid. Um, I resented a lot of things because I didn't understand a lot of things. And when I got this offer to go on a, a movie with money that, you know, take me two weeks, a month to, yeah. to make, to clear. Uh, when I got there, it was... Uh, it was totally amazement because, you know, when I was a kid, I used to watch old movies with my father and my grandfather, you know, and I was always amazed. I was just a fan, never knew why. I just enjoy, enjoyed certain actors, uh, certain particular things. And then all of a sudden I'm in martial arts and I get a chance to go in a movie and I see all this stuff going on because luckily there were like 50, 50 martial artists and stunt people there. Um, and I was just totally amazed. I'd never seen anything like it. And it was like one night in my whole life because I did all those things in Brooklyn, New York, you know, in the fifties. Canarsie. You did it for fun, you know? And uh, I, I never knew a stuntman existed. It was the furthest thing from my mind. I was studying to be a cop. I had a year and a half of police science in, in college. And uh, so when I got there and I, 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 I had the visualization of all these guys, the difficulties, you know, I said to myself, you know, I, I can do that one time, twice as better, you know, three times as better. Well, that guy doesn't know. I, 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 as far as my ability, I, I far was so much superior than all these stunt guys. I didn't have the knowledge. That's what I was missing. So I was like a kid in a candy store, as I explained in the book. Um, and I just said, you know, I got to try to do this. This, I want this as my life. I don't know how, I didn't know anybody, you know. Uh, I didn't have any family in it. Um, uh, you know, nothing like that existed in where I came from in New York. Uh, uh, and uh, didn't have any friends or any people I knew that even, you know, worked in the movie business. Uh, so, uh, you know, as I say in the book, the steps that happened in my life, uh, that's how I got into the movie business. And it was incredible luck and uh, blessings at the same time. Yeah. And, and uh, you, you paint a great picture to your, your childhood in Brooklyn. And it seemed like, a, I mean, it's an era of Brooklyn gone by. It's so it's sure. different now, you know, but uh, you talk You're a little bit about right. 
yeah how that informed you as a person and, and really carried it your whole life that no we had no inside games it was all outside games and That's, uh, yeah. yeah you know it was all innocent mischief you know the you know the kind of hatred we had was the the bigger guys didn't like the little guys the little guys didn't like the big guys so there was always a chase there was always a confrontation you know we just knew fists and and garbage can lids and stuff like that no guns and knives it was yeah, you know, and, and the next day we would be best friends. Yeah. Truthfully, you know, that's that, the kind of arguments you had there. The, the playing, the, the games, you know, the explorations of different neighborhoods or different areas, you know. I mean, uh, yeah, I was voted to the second best climber of my neighborhood. I mean, uh, I tell stories about kids uh, when I was growing up in Brooklyn uh you know it's like the east side comedies you young guys may not not know what the barry boys or the east side comedies were but that's what it was like you know we had little gangs but they were innocent gangs and uh there was a lot of athletics and there was a lot of uh you know i i was i was a monkey yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. you, and what I love too, like you do mention, and just like us too, we're, we're also from that generation where I never wanted to be home. Like I wanted to be out. Like there was no way, like, you know, like I needed to be out. Like we, I would wake up, you know, especially on the weekends or summers, like I, I wouldn't be home till we had to eat dinner and then I might even go back out, you know? So definitely. And, and it goes to show you the yep. action that you created because now, uh, you know, there's so much CGI, but your work is so, it's so real. Like that stuff, like I'm watching these old movies, like Remo Williams was always a movie to me that I looked at to this day. And I'm like, it looks like everything is there. There was no, like, there was no, cam I'm sure there were camera tricks, but like, it was just, it, it looked like such real action, you know? So it's, it's, it's uh, also another, I feel like thing that doesn't really happen anymore. No, well, first of all, uh, there was really no CGI yeah. back when I first started. And a few years after, we started to hear about it, but we couldn't afford it. I mean, <laughs> I'm talking, and truthfully, five seconds was like $200,000. You know, the companies just wouldn't do it, uh, you know, and that's just, you know, for the, the, the camera end of it, you know, it was literally so expensive. Yeah, you know, so it was impossible to do. Even the big time pictures, the hundred million dollar pictures, wouldn't do it because it was too expensive. You know? Yeah, no, they, they, they was gradually kept on going. But when it started happening, you know, when when the uh, expensive movies started using CGI, I looked at it, and you know, it to me it was a cartoon. Yes, it's a it's a cartoon, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, and uh, it, it it's. There's a part of it, you know, you take The Matrix, you know, The Matrix, fantastic movie for what it was. Sure. You know, I enjoyed it. One of the best pictures ever as far as CGI. But as far as realistic, I always wanted to, in my mind, I said, listen, Steve, whatever it was, if I can do this two or three steps better than the greatest athlete or the greatest stud man, then I'm actually doing it superhuman. I'm doing it, you know, a lot better than everybody else. So I always try to take it physically to the extremes using less tricks as possible, more athletics and more, you know, I take after I, my mentors are Charlie Chaplin, 
um, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, you know, these guys did things physically, you know, uh, they were brave enough. They had confidence enough. You know, there's, there's five things you have to have to be a great athlete, whether it's baseball, football, martial arts, stuntman, timing, coordination, distance, focus, and power of the mind. And one of them, power of the mind, you have to believe you can do it. Honestly believe you can do it. And you'll go far, you know, far more than anybody could have believed. Even you would have believed if you have the belief that you can do it. And that's part of it. And when you keep on practicing that, it gets to be old hat. It comes on just like that. And uh, that's because of all because of martial arts. Yeah. You know, I, I would have had that ability if I, if I didn't uh, take martial arts. And you discovered martial arts. You were uprooted from Brooklyn right by your family at a certain age. And you discovered uh, martial arts on the West Coast, correct? Absolutely. Well, I took about a year of martial arts, a half a year in Brooklyn. And then mm -hmm. the place closed down. I talk about that in the book, I think. I took out a lot of stuff because it was too big, even though it's 750 pages or something. Yeah, it's, it's a life for sure. It's amazing. Yeah, but, uh, but uh, I started in Brooklyn, New York, and it closed down. But it was a, uh, a Japanese style. Then when I came out here, you know, and I loved it, but I didn't understand it. I did it to get out of, uh, my parents let, let me take it to keep out of mischief. You know, and it was always it was always innocent mischief. Um, so I started, then it closed down and I came back, came to California. Uh, I, I resented it because I was more or less, I explained in the book, I won't get into it, but tricked, um, innocently tricked. Uh, they left me in California. They <laughs> went back for a few years to Brooklyn, New York, straighten out, you know, business and they were moving here, but I was left with my grandparents. So I resented it. It didn't understand it. Didn't understand the people. Didn't understand the uh, the city, the state. Um, you know, it's it too spread out and uh, had no friends. You know, when you grow up in one place, uh, you know, you have friends for life. And I was taken away from all that. Yeah, so it took me it took me a couple of years, and then uh, I found martial arts, and uh, and uh, I fell in love with it, and that was my life from then on there you know, a young team. And the uh, the book, uh, the whole title uh, from the streets of Brooklyn to the halls of Hollywood, the very beginning also too, like you're talking about like timing, um, uh, the prologue, I believe is from um, uh, Remo Williams. And you're talking about like hitting your cues and you're telling like the, 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 the people there, like you're talking about you're going to land on boxes and uh, uh, talking <laughs> like you, I guess you said after, that shot, I guess you went up to the director, uh, Guy Hamilton, I believe his name is. Yes. And uh, but uh, yeah, just like give a little breakdown of, of that prologue, because I think it's brilliant. Well, you know, um, whenever I did something, I would set it up as of uh, um, Remo Williams and the, and the Adventure Begins. You know, when I first started out, I had to prove to a lot of people my ability and my knowledge, my understanding, most of all, my common sense because that's a big part of, of uh, anything athletic that you do. And uh, after about five years um, working nonstop because stunt coordinators, when I first started, they were all cowboys, you know? They knew, they thought martial arts, as I explained in the book, they laughed at martial artists, you know? They, they thought we were a bunch of clowns, you know? 
which threw me when I found that out. I tell a little story in the book uh, about that. On a, yeah, the, they call me Bruce, right? Was it that? Yeah, they call me Bruce. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you have a better. I've done so many movies and television shows. I don't remember really <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was doing a cowboy sequence in a cowboy bar, and uh, I put out all these weapons. The director asked me to bring weapons, and and uh, you know. Uh, it's a cowboy bar, so the stunt coordinator, Mike Ventrell, a great friend, great martial artist, uh, great talent, hired all these cowboys for me to beat up, and I lay out all these weapons to the director, and the, all the cowboys see it, and they laugh at him. You know, and, you know they, pick out, uh, they pick up the broken three-sectional sticks. What the hell are you going to do with this thing? You know, and, and then when I rehearsed it with them, they were scared to death of it, you know. Uh, you know, you know, if you know three-sectional staff yeah, yeah. Uh, or swords, they're not used to uh, having those kind of things thrown at them. You know, it's either fists or chairs or tables or, or bottles, you know, because most of the stunt coordinators were either gangster type, car guys or cowboys. You know, fight coordinators came later on. You know, at the very beginning, a stunt coordinator was the fight coordinator. It encompassed it both, you know, but that's another story. No, a lot yeah. of things changed. And you, you can't. You... But on Remo Williams, getting back to Remo Williams, by then, the people who hired me had all the confidence in with me. So when I put something together, when I asked for something, or when I said, believe me, this could happen and they had doubts or another stunt guy had doubts and mentioned it, which sometimes made me very angry because I would never say I couldn't do anything if I couldn't do it, you know? A lot of things come from that jealousy, insecurity, but, but nobody ever really said that. Well, he can't very few times. Well, you know, he's gonna kill himself or he's not gonna be able to do that. You know, I don't need a cable. I don't need this, I don't need that. You know, just leave me alone you know, and I'll get it done. You know, most of the people had that confidence, even directors, because, because when directors started seeing me work or producers started seeing me work, they would be stunned because I would more or less be able to take over the situation because it was something that I was creating for the company, even though I wasn't the boss when I was hired by somebody else. They had that kind of confidence in me. Um, again, it was because of martial arts, you know, when you take martial arts, those five things I mentioned, you know, it's, they're so important in martial arts. You do it every day, every day, every day, like an athlete, like, a, you know, like the guys that go into the Olympics, they do it every day. Football players, they do it every day. So, you know, you develop such a unique sense of doing something above and beyond that it comes natural to you. So whenever I did anything on Remo, you know, uh, Remo, you know, I took Remo. Thank God Remo came along because I was getting tired of ninja films, you know, uh, and, and working for Canon. I wanted to do more. Yeah. You know? So I, Remo came along and I saw Remo and I said, wow, I said, this got a little martial arts in it, you know, um, and uh, it's got a lot of unique stunts. And I'm going to be the only stunt guy because yeah. I knew the stunt coordinator. I knew the second unit director very well, Glenn Randall Jr. And he knew me very well. So I said, 
you know, I'm going to be the only one that's ever been on the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, you know, it's ama- amazing. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the settings for that, even like the cover, like I was so if it came out in 85, I was definitely seven years old watching it in a movie theater. <laughs> To this day, like, I'm just like, you know, like just the scenes. And, and I think uh, like if, if I'm not mistaken, you won an award for that. Uh, yes. w- one of the sequences, right? Which one was it? Yes, it was the uh, first uh, stunt awards. Yes. Uh, best high work. Yeah. Um, and uh, I also won for another movie. Tough Turf. Uh, uh, Tough Turf. Yes, and James I have a story about that. I, I was going to put up American Ninja one. And the stunt coordinator of Tough Turf called me up. He's a great friend of mine, Vince Dietrich Jr. And um, uh, he said, Steve, I'm putting you up for Tough Turf. And I know I'm going to lose if you put up American Ninja. So can you take out American Ninja? So I took out American Ninja. Yeah. And, and, and he won for Tough Turf. You know, That's I did good. it for a friend. But, you know, I, I would have loved uh, American Ninja to yeah. have won. But that's okay. You know, no, cute little stories like that, they're, you know, they're great memory. Absolutely. And, you know, they're great things. You know, Remo Williams, I mean, working with, with, you know, Guy Hamilton, working with the actors on that show, you know, the seeing things, you know, I'm, if you know me, uh, I have a great sense of humor. And uh, there's a lot of things that go on, like the Gene LaBelle incident at the Statue of Liberty. You know, I... I, I didn't. I, I, I didn't. Started. Yeah, I didn't hear that. Go ahead. Oh, you got to read that. The I, I read. I read a lot of the chapters because I was going to bring up the. Um, you, you're talking about sense of humor, and I, I love what Joel Gray did. Uh, did like when when you went up to him and you were like, you know, you see an Asian man. I think you were Coney Island. And you're like, oh yeah, let me bring you to. Uh, to yeah, I love, I, I love you know, that they story. Me right, right from the production office, they wanted me to go down and meet everybody and start teaching Joel Gray and get introduced to Fred Ward. And, and, and immediately, because they wanted me to come up, they had no idea, they wanted me to come up with a new style. What would you do, Sinanju? You know, what would Joe, Joe Gray do? So I needed to come up with a new style, new new ideas, or I old ideas that I take from other old movies, because that's what always happens. Nothing's brand new ever, you know? You, you mold and change an idea that you saw someplace else. You know, the greatest thing you, you see today you know, isn't a brand new idea. It's an old idea that somebody took and molded it and changed it, you know, to, to make it look different on screen. You know, it's, it's, it, that, that's what happens. But, but anyway, working on Rima Williams, uh, Joel Gray going on the set, you know, uh, Joel Gray was full makeup and the makeup guy was fantastic, uh, <laughs> fantastic did some fantastic work. And, you know, Joel Gray had a great sense of humor and, uh, you know, he saw, you know, an idiot like me wouldn't recognize him behind the, behind the makeup and he played it, you know, and he talked like it. And, and yeah, you know, first day on the set, the first minute on the set, you don't want to make any waves. You know, there's a, there's a thousand things a stunt man, uh, a lead stunt man, a stunt coordinator always has to think of. You're kind of a psychiatrist. So you've got to please everybody on the set and understand everybody's personality. So I didn't know who this guy was. Well, I'll take you to him. So, you know, he, he led me around like a, like a, a father with a, a candy bar, you know, and I followed him all through the set until I realized uh, 
uh, you know, that this guy is just fooling around with me. And, you know, they told me, you know, that's Joel Gray, you idiot. Yeah. Yeah. I love that story. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get to the, the LaBelle uh, Remo story though. Oh, you gotta, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's so much in there, you know, there's, but, uh, LaBelle, as you know, he had a part in it as a bad guy and he's chasing Fred Ward and he runs, he runs across uh, 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 a P a piece of pavement that was just poured cement walkway. You remember that in the movie? I do. Yeah. Where yeah, a yeah. guy runs and yeah, yeah. And he falls in it and you see a bubble come up, you know, yep. well, yeah, the stunt coordinator asked me to set that up. And he asked me when they yell cut to get Jean LaBelle out. Right. So I got a rope, a rodeo rope, you know, and a ladder, you know, and Jean LaBelle and I, I mean, you know, Jean LaBelle is one of the reasons why I was success, uh, such a success in my early days, because every time he worked, he would tell the people about me and he would get me on the set, introduce me and I would get hired. Amazing. Uh, you know, yeah. we, he was, you know, if Gene LaBelle loved you and he helped so many people, James Liu, Albert Leong, Rick Avery, Jeff Amata, you know, he loved those guys, including me. And he helped all of us, you know, the, those people I just spoke about were the guys who first came in as I came in. And as I explained in the book, you know, I, I explain in the book from when I lived in Brooklyn, New York, came to California, martial arts to the movies, yep, you yep. know, and everything that happened, you know, from year 70, you know, good guys wore, uh, good guys wear black, you say started in 1978, yeah. but I actually did that at the beginning of 1977. That's when it started. It came out in 1978, you know, so, uh, you know, it's always kind of a year or yeah so. year before yeah yeah i mean yeah. some movies even get trapped in in, in a longer for sure yeah, yeah. A, another interesting speaking, oh, oh, i'm sorry no no go ahead. Uh, speaking but, of so gene labelle yes so so gene labelle so the yell cut you know he runs and he you know he falls like water into the cement and you see a bubble and a few seconds later they yell cut so it's up to me to get him out right so he pops up and you know imagine trying to trying to stay up in cement it, it, it's pretty difficult, yeah. right? So he goes, uh, you know, Lambert, you know, throw me the goddamn rope. And I go, who's, he's got a thing when he works out with you, right? You know, you're on the ground, he's on top of you. And he won't, even if you mate, he won't let you up if he's a close friend of yours, unless he'll ask you who's better looking ah. all the time. Who's better looking? <laughs> and you tell him to shut up, get the hell off me, you know? And he goes and he won't let you up and he'll rub, you know, he's got that three day beard. He'll rub his face on your face and it burns and it scrapes like hell. So you always say you're better looking, Gene, you're better looking. So segueing back to the, you know, him swimming in cement, you know, he's, he's telling me, God damn it, toothpick, you know, throw that goddamn rope, you know, pull me in. And I go, Gene, who's better looking? Yeah. Who's better looking, <laughs> That's right? Great. And I want, and everybody's yelling at me because he can't get out. And I go, no, Gene, who's better looking? He goes, Lambert, you're better looking now, but when I get out, you better run. <laughs> <laughs> he was such a character. He's such a, like, I mean, just, I heard of him first through um, Ronda Rousey 
Uh, and then obviously you, you, we met, you mentioned in the book, you know, the, the Joe Rogan thing, but we'll mm-hmm. get to that. Go ahead, Brian. Lang, yeah. go ahead. No, but no, that's a, that, I was just going to segue to that. Yeah. About Jean LaBelle. We were so close. You know, I tell some more, I tell a bunch of stories about Jean LaBelle and I probably about a half a dozen. Uh, you know, there's a one great story in the stuntman's association where it costs us like 5,000 bucks. We destroyed the whole office because he was chasing me. <laughs> and I went through windows and I went through, I mean, to get away from them. I don't know if you read that story in the book yet. You know, there's no. a lot there. So you can Yeah, I, I did. Oh, I, 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 we, I, I basically, you know, um, I read like uh, the, the bits and pieces that yeah, I definitely wanted to. It yeah, it's, it's. I guarantee you every, every story is a great story, but we were so close and, and people used to look at me and say, Lambert, you're crazy. You know, why do you want, you, he's going to kill you. And I go, don't worry. Very few people, Jean, Le, Jean LaBelle let people do things to him. Very few people. And I was one of them. I got away with murder with Jean because we were so close. Yeah. I was the only one that he ever let on his mats with shoes, with tennis shoes. <laughs> Nobody else would dare. I would walk on his mat with tennis shoes. And his pink gi. And his pink gi. That's unbelievable. <laughs> only, he <laughs> only he could do it, yeah. Only he can do that. Oh. I, I was just saying when, when you mentioned Gene that the, the story where Sam would just mention and stuff, because I just I feel like I just heard it on Joe Rogan even recently again, that legendary story with about Steven Seagal. And it's great to hear that the actual <laughs> someone who was there. Yeah. Because it is, you know, that story's been in circulation for so long. Yeah, um, you know, uh, there's a few different stories about it, and there's a few guys who who are very close friends of mine and literally call me a liar. And <laughs> it's unbelievable that they would say that. And some people, you know, movie people are like politicians. They're great actors, they're great liars. Politicians make great actors, actors can make, movie people can make great politicians um, because you look at a person and you know, they say it's so good, you tend to believe them, but they're not telling the truth. You know, God bless the stunt coordinator. He's a great friend of mine. You know, um, he's not telling the truth. And there are others who aren't telling the truth. Um, it's a shame. Uh, like I said, his two bodyguards, himself, Seagal, LaBelle, myself, and a guy named Lincoln Simon, another stunt guy, were the only people who were there. Uh, the only people who saw it. Uh, And what I, the story that I tell is word for word what happened, you know, Um, and I made sure of that. Yeah, which is amazing. You know, people people were, before I put out the true story, people were telling falsehoods and different stories about it for years. They would call me up because they would hear that I was there. And for years, I would refuse it. No, 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 no. You know, I don't want to tell the story until I wrote the book. Then I decided to tell the true story. And, you know, he didn't pee in his pants. Um, He didn't go into convulsions. And I explained that. And I'm even, in a way, if you read the story, I feel sorry for Steven Seagal, you know. Um, You know, I I have feelings. And for all these years that he's gone through that, he made a mistake. We all make mistakes, you know. Fess up to it, you know. There was a confrontation. Uh, you did get put on your ass. You did start it, you know, uh, but you didn't 
go into convulsions. You didn't pee in your pants. You know, <laughs> what I tell you, <laughs> what I tell you in the book uh, is a great story. And there was a confrontation. And, uh, you know, the, the wrong person, the person who made the mistake was Steven Seagal. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the stories that Rogan tells or, or um, uh, who's the gal, the uh, fighter? Oh, Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey tell, you know, uh, I, I'm a truthful person and I was brought up to be very humble and truthful and very blessed because, uh, you know, somebody that the only A he ever got in school was in gym, you know, <laughs> the rest were C's, D's and S, F's, that's all I had to tell the <laughs> truth and, and, you know, to try to make it, you know, that's just important because these these things become lore and they're yeah. almost like a game of telephone and people add things out. Now I only have to find out the only other one I need to know about is Chuck Zito and Van Damme. I got to find that mystery. Uh, I think complete. you know <laughs> people, that was true. People who what disturbs me and makes me feel bad. People with those kind of positions, mm -hmm. Rousey and Rogan and and the others, other ones who who change the story. Right. And uh, why, I, I don't know, just to make themselves look better. Um, it's very strange, but they're not telling the truth. They didn't see it. They don't know what happened. But uh, the story in the book is the true story. Uh, you know, when, when, when you're trying to explain a move, because that's how it started, you know, two professionals, two black belts, two masters, um, um, uh, being a, a black belt myself, um, when you explain something, you go over it slow. And that's what Gene LaBelle was doing. He was explaining and walking it slowly. And then all of a sudden, when Gene LaBelle gets behind Steven Seagal, and Steven Seagal knows that LaBelle doesn't know what's going to come next, and goes full blast and sidesteps and forearms him in the balls, what the hell do you expect a guy like Gene LaBelle to do? Natural reaction. And he just, the minute his feet, you know, people, I explain in the book, you know, he, you know, uh, uh, Gene LaBelle flew up uh, three or four feet. You know, <laughs> people, people go to me, it's impossible to jump three or four feet. And I go, well, maybe it is, but he did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how hard it, it was. When I, when I first and saw when he touched the ground, he just sidestepped, you know, and, and, and just, uh, you know, threw him backwards, put his leg behind him, um, uh, behind Steven Seagal's legs and just, you know, took him by the front of his chest and neck and just threw him back and threw his foot up, you know, and, and Seagal just flew up and just landed on his back. And believe me, when I saw that, it's a half a second. And when I saw that, when the bodyguards saw that, you know, my mouth dropped because I, I thought it was going to continue. All hell's going to break loose. And the bodyguards were looking at Seagal, looking at LaBelle, looking at me. I was looking at everybody was looking at everybody else, you know, like what the hell's going to happen now? He's, and in the midst, okay, Corral. Seagal just went like this, just nodded his head no to the bodyguards. And, uh, the bell saw that and just reached down and said, but if I did that, like nothing happened. Let me show you what you can do. And that's when I ran off to get the, the stunt coordinator because yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen. Because yeah, it, 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 was full, it was full speed. Go for four seconds. 
re- reading that was definitely one of my favorite parts of, of the book so far, because it, it, it was a story that just it's so it's so famous. But to, to, to read it from someone who was there is amazing. Another thing. Yeah, and, it, and it's a shame it's going to, you know, I, I've talked to people who are close uh, to Seattle. And I go, listen, I always use common sense. And I said, you know, I said, you know, it'd be wonderful for the whole world. And, and even for you too, Jean LaBelle and Steven Seagal. I said, imagine if we get you two together and you just walk in as a surprise. First at Seagal, LaBelle walks in, you say, hi, hi, Steven, hi, Jean. You know, you start talking like best friends, you know, and, and, you know, you guys act and just laugh about the situation, you know, and hug and that's the end of it, you know, and just laugh about it, admit it, you know, we'll get somebody to, to write a couple of funny lines, you know, where you admit it in a funny way and, and uh, you know, and, and LaBelle will say something funny and you guys hug and uh, I make that suggestion and uh, they bring it to Steven Seagal and he says no. You know, and I, you know, we bring it to LaBelle and LaBelle says, sure, yeah. you know, so there's a, there's a barrier there that, that, you know, should be broken down before LaBelle leaves us. Yeah. Because God bless LaBelle. He doesn't have too many years. 89, 89 and going for sure. Uh, yeah. Amazing. And, you know, I saw him a while back and uh, it breaks my heart mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, stuff like that should be straightened out. Yeah. you know, and, 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 and swept under the rug and, and uh, just uh, a life's experience and bring the humor out of it. And, and that's the end of it. But uh, anyway, that's the name of that tune. That's Ed the name Rock. of that too. Yeah. It's, it's in the book for anyone that wants yeah. to read it. Uh, There's another, so many antidotes in this book. Too. Another, another funny I'm thing. Glad that you I enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Another funny thing that I loved was, uh, you know, w- when you do one down two to go, and uh, I guess you you end up meeting the trio, Jim Brown, Fred Williamson, and Jim Kelly. And then I think it was Jim that asked you to like throw kicks at his hand, right? Well, and then- first of all, you know, uh, imagine you have no idea. You're going to an office, you know, to see, uh, to see um, um, not Jim Kelly, not Jim Brown. Who's the other one? Fred Williamson. Fred Williamson, you know. You walk into this office and you see these guys, all three of these guys sitting in an office. I mean, I very few times get excited meeting people, meeting stars, you know, but it was, uh, it was definitely uh, a nail biter. And it was one of the first times I was really nervous sitting down, having to explain myself, trying to get a show. I knew nothing about the show. I was just asked by the production manager to come in. I knew the production manager. So walking in and seeing these superheroes <laughs> to me you know uh it, it, it was it's quite a memory and uh uh yeah jim kelly asked me he wanted to see uh what i had had because uh yeah you know like i said the production manager was a good friend of mine we've worked together before and you know the things that i did the martial arts that i did the stunts that i did you know uh, i never really thought it was anything extraordinary because I was able to do it. It was normal to me, but, you know, sometimes when people explain people uh, to somebody, 
you know, they go overboard. Like if you ask James Woods, he's a good friend of mine, an actor, James Woods. If you ask him about me, you know, he'll make me out to be a superhero, you yeah, know, yeah, which yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you see, you see what he said in, in the forward. In, in, in the forward. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I love, love know, James. You know, when I read that and I said, oh, Jimmy, you're going to get me killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what he believes, you know. So so guys like that, you know, when when a guy like Jim Kelly, you know, as great as he was, here's a production manager rave about somebody that's coming in, you know, he wants to see for himself. So, and it was a thrill to me. I mean, a guy who worked with Bruce Lee, who touched hands with Bruce Lee, you know, who sat there with Bruce Lee. It was one of the biggest honors of my life. And I threw kicks at, at Jim Kelly. Yeah, and I man. had a big shit eaten grin on myself every time I threw a kick <laughs> and uh, he was happy and uh, I was happy. And I said, thank you. You don't know how much this means to me. I love yeah. it. Yeah. That was a great yeah. story. Yeah. There's, there's seeing so Jim, many. Seeing Jim Brown sitting there with a big cigar, you know, just listening most of the time. Fred, Fred uh, Williamson did most of the talking. Yeah. 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 This book is so loaded with, with great stories. We can't even scratch the surface on the short time we have you again. The book's, title is the streets of brooklyn to the halls of hollywood please pick it up uh thank you but if we could jump around a couple of uh, films that me and sam are big friends yeah listen of. don't hurry we can do a number two yeah yeah okay. I, we I would love we would it. love to yeah we'd love to. i enjoy this kind of stuff bringing it out to the people maybe a hundred years from now somebody will see it yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. but but uh if you could speak total recall we're yes. huge fans of that film and uh yeah yeah, that that was uh that's, that's the story. second time you work with Arnold. Uh, he seems Arnold, like a great guy. I I was blessed, you know. Um, his stunt double, stunt coordinator Joel Kramer. Uh, mm. We grew up in the business. We started together. We were roommates. Um, so that's how far we go back. So we were so close. Um, when he started with Arnold, uh, whenever I was available, he would bring me on. Not for a day, not for a week. Sometimes for months you know, weeks upon weeks upon months. And uh, he made me part of uh, the Arnold uh, groupies, you know, the in crowd, uh, one of like, you know, seven, eight guys. So, I, I, you know, I became very close with Arnold. Uh, Arnold liked my company and Arnold and Sven Thorson and Joel Kramer and Billy Lucas, you know, and, uh, you know, a couple of others. And yeah, you know, I was blessed to, you know, we would play tennis, we would go out to, there's so many Arnold stories and Sven Thorsen stories and Joel yeah, Kramer stories. Those are good. Because we were so close. So whenever, uh, whenever Joel uh, did a, a movie, an Arnold picture, you know, Arnold would say, Joel, don't forget, don't be a moron, bring on Steve Lambert, don't forget <laughs> that skinny bones, we need to put weight on him. <laughs> I love that. That's you great. Yeah. Especially yeah. him. I mean, like that's like in the eighties, like it got no, if you're in the action world, like Schwarzenegger was it like I, growing up, like it, it was always Stallone or him. But to me, like Schwarzenegger, I mean, I know we're talking about raw deal and, and like later on other things, but geez, like he was like, he was it. Oh, believe me when I say this and I've worked with a lot of actors, actresses and and 
And when I say this, there, there are many wonderful actors and actresses, but I, you know, I've always been, and I explained a book, a people watcher. I love to watch, you know, the actors, the directors, and, you know, when I'm just sitting there, you know, what they do, how they act. You know, I explained to you, you know, in the book, you know, about actors, uh, directors like Paul Verhoeven. You know, I tell some great stories about Paul Verhoeven. Yes. You know, uh, sound like a real uh, son and, of and a other bitch. males and females. Yeah. You know, producers, <laughs> directors, actors. But when it comes to Arnold, you know, he is probably one of the nicest actors I've ever worked with. From from production to in front of camera to behind camera you know, to craft service. I mean, he's wonderful to everybody. Uh, never a mean bone. And I, I, I was, believe me, I was with him, you know, off camera, playing around in front of camera, sitting there behind camera. You know, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever worked with. Amazing. Great yeah. humor, great understanding. You know, he loves stunt people, uh, love to work enjoyed his craft uh and he's a lot of fun you know you go out to dinner with him you know i tell a few stories you know it's just a lot of fun and it was a very unique time every time i worked on an Arnold picture what what was it like being uh tossed around on that escalator in total recall (laughs) he would he he would you know he's a trickster and, uh, you know, uh, in the book, I, I discuss uh, in the book, uh, the confrontation and yep. uh, yeah, yep. not in real detail with Paul Verhoeven, you know, mm. but behind Paul Verhoeven was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sven Thorsen, you know, and Joe Kramer laughing at me, you know, <laughs> because I was trying to explain to Paul Verhoeven that, you know, I can't take these hits anymore. They were like sledgehammers, you know, and Paul Verhoeven was calling me a pussy and yeah, all that yeah. stuff. And I was calling him a pussy back and, and Arnold would be going like this. And, <laughs> you know, Sven would go, that's right. Yeah. You know, now you're a man, Steve. You're talking back to him. That's what you should say. Yes, you know, I, I, lo- I, I love I love that story as well. Um, you know, so recently we had on Sam Furstenberger. I maybe time flies. Maybe it wasn't that recent, but that that's kind of how um, uh, you my know, dear brother. Shmulek. Yeah, that Shulik. Yeah, I love that. You're like when when you first got on the phone with him, you're just like you're like, I might be Jewish. I just don't know what Shmulek is, you know, so that, <laughs> I, I love Shmulek? it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I tell uh, I, I don't remember if I. Uh, if I detail this story, but, uh, you know, I got the job Revenge of the Ninja. And when I came on the show and it, and every show I did for Canon, there was a tremendous hurdle I had to overcome on every action sequence because I was involved in it is after I put it together and I would explain it to them on the set, you know, and and you got to realize probably 97% of production on a film, Canon film, was all Israelis, 97%. So, you know, so they would always talk after you explained to them in Hebrew. And I didn't know what the hell they would be talking about. And I felt I always needed, you know, 
to know because first of all, it, it prolonged the time and the waste of energy. Let's all talk in English. You know how to talk in English, you know, 75% in English, you know. I don't know how to talk in Hebrew, so yeah. come my way, you know, but they would never listen. They would, after I would explain, they would all talk. And imagine, you know, seven, eight guys from the camera to the props, to the to effects, to, to the director, to the, to the, you know, camera, camera operators, to the first assistant, to the, to the to, uh, script supervisor, you know, they would all talk in Hebrew, you know, and I would be, no, 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 talk English, English, yeah, 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 I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. I just explained, what are you going to do? Wait a minute, Steve, we're, let's, we're going to talk it out first. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, so we'll explain you know, so it, this yeah. would always go on. And it's very funny when it happens, you know, yeah. and I would, okay, we won't do it anymore, but they would continue doing it. Sometimes it would be less, but sometimes it would be more. So this was, it was like a, a Lauren Hardy sequence sometimes. It was hysterical, but great fun and a great Great, great fun. And, and when, when you uh, first meet uh, Sam, uh, you get presented that script. And then you, you said you, you look at the script and, and there was blank sheets and you've never seen it because you were in charge of the action sequences, which I thought was fascinating. And for us, listen, before Schwarzenegger, for me, there were show Kasuki. Everything show ever did. That's what I wanted to watch. And I remember in particular Revenge of the Ninja. I mean, just him being dragged, you know, like in that scene with that that van. Amazing. And uh, the link uh, Liberty Park thing. Those are the two action sequences that I remember. And Sam told me I had no idea. He's like, yeah, Steve was the cowboy. And there you are. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's a funny, uh, uh, you know, Keith Vitale, Shokazuki and uh, David Walmart, Sam Firstberg sent me up big time. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, OK, Shmulek, I gave you a bunch of guys because I gave him 25 guys. You pick who you want to be, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy, that guy, you know, and, uh, you know, they picked everybody except the cowboy and they kept on putting it off, putting it off until on the day, you know, they, they said, you, Steve. And I said, you got to be kidding. No way. You know, it's a, you know, they were, it, it was their time because we play practical jokes on each other all the time, all throughout. It was a wonderful experience. You know, get, get, you know, there are two things we're talking about now. The empty script. Yeah, the empty script. Yeah, yeah. Empty pages and... and uh, the van. The van was like a, van. amazing. But you got to understand, when they gave me the script and uh, I noticed that there were empty pages, before I started on this script, the shows that I was able to coordinate before Revenge of the Ninja you know, uh, the TV shows or the one down, two to go or stuff. Whenever I opened up the, uh, the script and I got to the action, it would briefly give me an idea of the action, which made it a lot easier uh, to come up with action. On the Revenge of the Ninja script, the pages would be totally empty. And I asked Shmulek, Where are the why are these pages empty? You know, were there action pages? We're giving you where we come from. We're giving you where it ends. You need to, that's where, why we're hiring you to come up with the action. And I would go, oh, this is the first time I ever had an experience like this. And to me, it was golden because it gave me something 
nobody ever gave me in the past to do, come up with a complete scene. And this is what Canon Films always did for me when I did the three ninja pictures. Yeah. You know, they always gave me more or less a blank canvas and I would design the whole sequence and I would bring it to Shmulek and Shmulek would make his changes. I want this here, I want this here. And I had an idea for that and I'd put it in, which is no problem. And then we would show it in Revenge of the Ninja case, we would show it to Shogazuki and he would okay it and uh, or put in his little things and then we would shoot it that way. But more or less, it was something I would probably 95% design, you know, because you got to understand I'm the action coordinator, the action designer. So the sequences in, I always like to do, getting back to Charlie Chaplin, Harold Lloyd, Buster Keaton, whenever you saw action sequences with them, they were all long, weren't they? They were all long drawn out sequences that always kept you watching. Yeah. So I always, that's the style of action sequences when it came from non-fighting, uh, I wanted to do long drawn out sequences like that. So I would have to write it and then I would bring it to like the van sequence, yeah. you know, from the beginning to the end, the moment he starts chasing, they take off at the van. You know, it was up to me. The fight was over. Shokazuki and I put together the fight. Now it was up to me for the stunt action part of it. So I had to write that sequence. After I finished, you know, this comes in, you know, there's a cutaway, you know, uh, a, guy's, a guy's crossing the street, you know, open up his door, the van hits it, you know, the guy goes over, you know, his own car, which was me, you know, because yeah. they never gave me much money. So yeah. I couldn't hire a lot of people. So I had to pick and choose. That's why, <laughs> you know, a lot of people say, say to me, I'm always bouncing off to other things. You know, some people say, well, I don't know why he did all the stunts, all the action. You know, he must have been really greedy. Well, no, I wasn't greedy. You know, if I didn't do it myself, you know, it wouldn't have been in the movie. Because I didn't, I, I wrote it but they wouldn't give me the money to hire the person. To do it, yeah. And you want it. Like when you have that vision, like it's like, oh no, this, I, I'll do it myself because this scene needs to be in the, like the, you know, jumping through the windshield, you know, yep. which obviously, you know, it's like, all right, well, we, yeah. we, we need to do this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. You know, uh, uh, if I was, I tell the story in the book, if I was working for somebody in Stunts Unlimited, if I was the stunt double of the lead and I was working for a stunt coordinator, I would have made a fortune on those ninja shows. Yeah, but but I, you know because it was Canon Films. I mean, I made money, you know, no doubt about that. But because it was Canon Films, and they let me write stuff, and they let me do stuff, and they let me create, I just said, well, I can either do it and create, and think about my future, you know, show people how I can write and design, and it's good practice. Yeah, or not have it, and yeah. I chose to. You know, well, you know, if I have to hire somebody to do something, it costs me a thousand dollars just for one guy, right? If I did it, I'll get paid two hundred. It's called an adjustment. You know, you you get paid because when an actor or a stunt guy comes in, 
to do a stunt, they get paid, they get a, put on a contract. And whatever stunt we do, it's above and beyond, according to the degree of difficulty of the stunt, we get paid. You know, if, if you're gonna punch me through a window, you can pay me $300, you can pay me $500, or you can pay me $100. It depends on what you have in your budget. Yeah. At the beginning of the show. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's like you, you're here we are. Like I'm 43, and these movies still, like when I watch them, um, like they, they just look so real. Like those three ninja movies, for, for example, let's say Revenge, Domination, and American Ninja. It's just like you watch certain sequences. And it's just so, like you said, there was no CGI. It was just like, you're there. Like, these are just stunt doubles. I think that's why those doing... films persevere, yeah. though, because of that reality of it, whereas, like, a CGI or a camera trick could, could date itself very easily as computers evolve and stuff. But that practical, those yeah. stunts like that, that's Hang... why those films still ha endure. Hanging from a, from a fucking helicopter. I mean, like, yeah. come on. Like, you're like that was you, right? Hanging from a helicopter. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. Like, yes. that's any like no net no nothing right like you're hanging from a fucking helicopter well you know you, you, i think of it this way you do push up you do uh chin-ups right and I, I was able to do at the time like 70 75 chin-ups <laughs> you know this is the way i thought yeah yeah know? yeah I, I have a grip you know i have long fingers big hands, you know, long hands. So I have a grip. There's no way I'm going to let go. There's no way. That's the way I thought. Yeah. That's the confidence <laughs> I had, you know. That's amazing. So, you know, when you took me up in, a, in Revenge of the Ninja or the Domination or American Ninja, when we use those helicopters or those heights, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I would grab, you know, because if I slipped with one hand, if I slipped with my foot, I knew you know, I could hold with one hand. And I never thought, you know, that I was 60, 70 feet up in the air or 30 feet up in the air, or even <laughs> if I was 20 feet in the air, underneath me was solid cement, you know. I, I wasn't, in my mind, I wasn't about to let go. Like, you know, American Ninja, one, um, with the helicopter, I put handholds underneath the helicopter. Uh, I think it was, I might have it reversed uh, you know, with the domination, but in one of them, I put handholds, um, because I thought I was going to get tired, you know, but when I got up there and did it, I wasn't tired. So I didn't use them. Animal, animal, That's it. <laughs> you know, that's when you're in shape, but I'm old man. Now I can hardly get out of bed. Takes <laughs> five minutes. Langan. Oh, I'm um, eight years just, old now. Just, what's that? I'm 68 years old now. That's looking it. good, man. Yeah, looking good. Yeah. Better um, shape than I, me. Just bouncing around. Some of the films you were in, one of my favorite films, uh, Casino. Uh, I love that story with your interaction with Joe Pesci. It's one of my favorite ones in the book. Oh. And James Woods, your friend, egging you on and the whole situation. Uh, uh, but if you could speak about working on that film and uh, and with Martin Scorsese, it would be great. Well, I, I, there's a great story in the book. There are thousands of great stories. You know, these, some are long, some are short, some take me to other things, but I always come back. But <laughs> I, one of my favorite stories of that show is, is I'm a picture taker. 
and there was a moment where where they were all sitting in their chairs with their names on it. You know, Scorsese, Pesci, Woods, De Niro, you know, all four of them. And I, I told you before that I was always a people watcher. And uh, all through the picture, you know, God bless Jimmy Woods, you know, we're like brothers. He's like my big brother. So uh, uh, he always, uh, even if I didn't, if I had a week of stunts, you know, he'd make sure he'd keep me there for three weeks a month, you know, that's because amazing. we enjoyed yeah. each other's company. If yeah, I that's awesome. To do, yeah. You know, I mean, that's how close we were. But there was a moment that they were all sitting together and I wanted a picture with all four of them together. Sure. Because, uh, first, it would be a wonderful picture. Yeah. And I've never seen a picture with all four of them together. And they all, you know, they're all New Yorkers, New Jersey, Bronx, you know, mm -hmm. Brooklyn, whatever. You know, they're all from those boroughs, right? During those times, you know, more or less. So I wanted a picture. So I ran, got my camera out of my stunt bag and I went, you know, I went over to them and, and they were all, you know, like in a half circle facing each other. And uh, I raised the camera and I went to take a picture and De Niro looked at me and he goes, hey! And you know, it kind of startled me, you know? And, and he said, hey, you! And I, I put the camera down and I noticed Woods looked, you know, and he says, no pictures here. And he didn't know who I was at first, you know, said at the very, very beginning. Even later on, I didn't take a chance, you know, no <laughs> pictures here. And I looked at Woods, you know, he goes, <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. You know, I turned him around and walked away. But those are one of those times that surprised me because very few people ever did that to me. You know, I, I have a shitload of pictures. I had a bunch of pictures. Uh, um, um, <laughs> that's great. Anthony Quinn did that to me, too. Oh, did he? Yeah, uh, that's in the book. What you? Yeah. What, what? What film was that with him? With Keanu Reeves and Anthony Quinn, it was a period picture. Um, Gee, it's a chapter right before the casino chapter. I don't have the number. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to talk about that next time. Yeah. Do yes. a piece. So, um, there's a great story with Anthony Quinn. I doubled Keanu Reeves in a picture. I can't remember the name of it. it had to do with grapes. It was a period picture. Uh, uh, he was a a military guy or something to that effect. It meets this. Uh, a uh, woman uh, falls in love. Anthony Quinn is the grandfather. Can't remember the name of it. Um, yeah. But it was a great movie. Great period movie. But yeah, I mean, double uh, piano reeves. And I had to re rescue Anthony Quinn. And uh, you read the chapter and it's a great story. But but him and De Niro said, no. What the hell are you doing taking my picture? Don't take my picture. You know, when and you I write look at Anthony Quinn, I said, what are you talking about? I just rescued you. You just complimented me. I just rescued him from a fire. I'm doubling Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I rescued him from a fire. You when know? you wrote Pesci cursing at you, I could like hear Pesci's voice too when he's saying it. And then it was it James Woods that that egged on that putting the kick in the cigarette out of his mouth. Ah, uh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. A walk in the a walk in the clouds, but God. Yeah, walk in the clouds. Yeah. yeah, great movie, great period movie. I love that movie, but. But um, yeah, when I kicked a cigarette with Pesci, they were all stunned. And, uh, <laughs> what I should have did, what I should have said is, can I take a picture with you now? Yeah. You know? But you see, De Niro, he's a weird dude. 
you know? So, you know, whenever I said hi, because I saw him a hundred times on the set. I mean, I, I worked on that picture for a month. So, you know, on Casino. So I would see him every day. So whenever you say hi, he'd know you. Very strange dude. Genius. Acting genius, but a very strange dude. Very strange he man. goes method, so, right? Doesn't he? Huh? He goes what? method, I think, right? That kind he's, of style. He's always method. And very quiet. Yeah. Very quiet guy. Pesci loves to talk to you. Scorsese is a cool cat. You know, and God bless Woods. He's great. And guy. you got Sharon Stone in there again from Total Recall. Oh, you like, do you love that story? That I, yeah. Did you read yeah. the Sharon Stone story? I, I did not. Oh, yeah. man. Yes. Yeah. Find it real fast. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, Next time, because that's a great story. Because yeah, Woods yeah. asked me. I'm, I'm, I'm that film that. had that you had, uh, James Wood has worked with, with her previously. And I think you said that well, you didn't want to, oh, yeah. I didn't think you were going to tell you the story. You have to, yes, we don't. I'm, I'm going to read it. After something happened on the set. And I'm not going to tell yes. you between, between her and Woods. So let's, no, I read, I read that chat, but yes, it's, it, we read it. More that one. But, uh, you know, uh, he said, uh, he asked me if I was on the set. And I said, no, but I was, I saw what happened, but I didn't, I, you got to read it. The audience out there, it's called Stephen Lambert from the streets of Brooklyn to the halls of Hollywood. But yes, you know, Woods asked me if I, I was on the set and I said, no, because I didn't want him to be embarrassed in front of me. <laughs> because I, something happened. It was a confrontation between Stone and Woods. I'm, and I'm, I didn't want him to know that I saw. I'm and gonna, I explained that in the book, but I did yes. see it. You know, but I'm not going to tell you what happened. You have to read. No, I'm going to read it. But there's one more. There's one more question before because we'll do this as a part one. I mean, there's so much. I, I still have so many notes, but I'm going to ask you one last question. Okay, um, before the last question. Yes. See my hat? Martial Art History Museum. Okay. Okay. Michael Matsuda, Burbank, California. Come see it. Yeah. It's a beautiful museum. All martial arts from the greatest stars, action heroes, martial arts stuntmen, you'll I'll, love it. I'll put the link, Great. I'll put the link up with everything that we that we throw up, um, for sure. Um, so- and, and excuse me, the silver mask from Revenge of the Ninja. Yes, yes. They have it there. Yes. On display. Yes, there that's a- that's The mask that I used 95% in that film. So I, I was going to actually ask you about James Woods, but I'll, I'll, I'll just wait for the next episode. Um, if you want to talk about that mask, like what was it like filming that last sequence? And let, let's end on that question, like because it's such an iconic last fight scene. And and the 80s were 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 like synonymous for that final battle. There was always that final battle in all these movies. And that one took place like on a rooftop somewhere. Like what was it like filming that insane sequence? Well, first of all, the mask, you know, when people think about, we talk about a mask today, you know, I wish I had masks that are made the way they're made today, back then, you know, this is all plexiglass and it was made, was it made on my face? You know, the guy who made it formed it to his face. That's how cheap Canon films was, <laughs> God bless him. Yes, you know? yes. So when I got the mask, Imagine me dealing with a mask that was formed on another guy's face. Yeah. You know, it's very difficult, very difficult. It stuck out, you know, it stuck me. And 
all it had was a, a little a little rubberized, almost a rubber band um, type deal connected, you know, from ear to ear and on top. And every time I moved fast, it would shift. So, you know, the first day I was miserable. So we came up with, with an idea to get the two-way tape, you know, two-way thick tape. And I put literally 20 pieces inside and I would stick it on my face and it wouldn't move. It wouldn't move. Now there was two, there was two things I had to deal with is since it wouldn't move, right? If I was fighting you, I'd have to shift either my head first to fight you or my body, then my head. And dealing with that, first of all, was really difficult. Ultimately, it was magic because it forced me, it forced me to do different types of movements before I got into that fight movement, which made the scene look better. In other words, I had to make a move look like an action movement, you know, when it wasn't, sometimes to see where you were. And sometimes that wasn't one or two movements, sometimes that had to be two or three movements. Uh, if you really look at a scene when I'm using, you know, I do movements uh, that have nothing to do with the scene. That's because I'm trying to find you or I'm trying to find my position or find you or, or move into position without putting a dead spot, you know. So I have to add something to get everything into that play in that situation where I can carry out that next move. So I have to make it one. So, which ultimately looked, made the whole sequence look so much better because I gave the character more animation. Yeah. And yeah. if you think of it that way and you watch it again, you'll see things and you'll understand things even more. But the trouble with the two-way tape is because it's spaced uh, you know, the mask from my skin, from my face, about a half an inch, quarter of an inch, a half an inch, uh, that hot breath would hit and I would sweat like crazy. Um, so I'd have to pull it off after every, I'd always constantly tell Sam, you know, hurry up, hurry up, you know, I got to pull this thing off, you know. So that mask, I mean, you know, that mask hated me and I hated that mask all through that picture. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it was a love affair. We right. were in love with each other because, you know, that mask gave me a terrific opportunity. Yes. Yeah, uh, you're right. You're right. At the same time, we hated each other because it was a pain in the ass. <laughs> Sometimes the tape, you know, I would do such a fast movement and it would literally rip off and it would be hanging sideways and I couldn't see. And I'd have to stop and it would ruin something before that I was thought was so good that we, I thought we could never get back again because, you know, a lot of the stuff I always did was improv and sometimes you can't replicate that improv. So that mask was a big headache and I, I always, I always had a difficult time. It was a, it was a, a love hate affair with that mask. Yeah. And now, now it's super it iconic. It gave us a cult film that people loved. And, sure. uh, you know, I'm glad that God bless Arthur Roberts, 
was a really nice guy, but uh, I, I never saw an actor that had such a uh, such a great time on two and a half months on a film, and he only worked like two hours. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right, because he he was yeah. mostly the ninja the whole time, which was you. So, um, you need me, Steve. How you doing? Yeah. Surely, you need me. This is Arthur Robbins. No, you could just relax today. Yeah. <laughs> he had a contract to be on the set every day. Um, uh, and you know, he, he was there, not necessarily on a set, you know, but, uh, you know, in his hotel Man. room or having fun, <laughs> yeah. you know, the only time he was in that mask is when he put it on, when you see a close up of him, put it on. And at the end, when it splits, splits yeah. close up and he falls mm -hmm. back. Yeah. That's only two times he was there. Wow. Well, uh, I gotta say. I can't wait for part two because Steve, this has been amazing. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Um, I mean, we, we still have a bunch of like the eye of the tiger story invaders from Mars. There's a lot of stuff that we were going to get to Indiana Jones, Indiana yeah. Jones, all this stuff. So, so uh, much. Steve, thank you so much for doing it and looking forward to yes. the next one. Thank you for your time. Send me the link or I'll ask you for the link for, for that museum. And uh, that's it. And again, Great. people from the streets of Brooklyn to the halls of Hollywood, that's the boots up on prime. I assume, or, uh, I mean, uh, Amazon, Amazon or wherever they buy yeah. books. So, Thank yeah. you very much. My friends out there. I hope uh, you have a good life. Uh, you take care of yourself. Big be safe. You two gentlemen, you be cool. And I'll talk to you soon. And right. Mr. Skeleton back there. I don't know what that's all about. Yeah. And, uh, that's my uh, misfits mask. Yeah. <laughs> I have the same thing. Yeah. Look. It's it's a Halloween decoration that just forgot to get put away. It's and a it's play, <laughs> it's a band. You both play brothers, skeleton it's, brothers, Halloween. It, all, all right. right, you guys take care of yourself and I'll be looking forward to seeing you again soon. Take care. Yes. All right. Thank bye. you. Bye.